0: Oh, (laughs) Leonidas, King of Sparta, when a neighboring state would plead for military aid, would send one episode of the 508 podcast. It's June the 15th, 2018, and this is episode number 300 of the 508 show, a show about Worcester. Our panel today is Worcester legend Kevin Kassan, Brendan Mellican. Brendan, can you scoot closer to Kevin? I can, yeah. Worcester legend, Brendan Melikan with mighty sliding microphone, and myself, Michael Benedetti. This is such an exciting week. I haven't even looked up the cost of Brent crude oil. I know that Bitcoin is down uh, probably around 15 to 20% on the week. Ethereum's up, though. Ethereum is up. Um, on the week, it's up?
1: Well, it was up a little bit over the last 24 hours because uh, uh, there were some... Comments made about it not uh, meeting requirements for f- further um, oversight as a as a security.
0: Oh, okay. So that kind
1: of bounced a little bit. Well,
0: that is interesting. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, I want to. So, we've been doing
0: this show for a long time. We've been sh- doing this show since September the fourteenth, two thousand seven, which was back w- back when we just did it on Skype. You know, um, and back in the day, I feel like the most common panelists on the show were me, Brandon. Kevin Kassin and the late Jeff Barnard.
1: Well, that's mostly because Kevin and Jeff were the only people that would talk to us.
0: They would wake up early in the morning. Well, and and, you know, one of the reasons that we started doing the show was that the media landscape in 2007 was very different. And that um, Kevin at the time was doing some community organizing Mm. around the Worcester Police Department uh, being used to tape the show Cops and some of the weird... Uh, negative things that were happening as a result of that. And while he was doing this, he got himself arrested, and um, uh, in particular for taking photos of the police. And the local journalists, of course, um, as you might expect, took a very anti First Amendment stance and were just like condemning Kevin. And it was a different age in terms of communication, in that it was hard to hear uh, the it was, it was hard to find somebody who was saying, you know what, actually, maybe Kevin Kassan got a raw deal. Maybe maybe actually the police department is doing something crazy for arresting a dude for standing on a sidewalk taking pictures um, just because they're mad about a TV thing. Uh, and so we started doing this podcast. And uh, the first episode, we talked a lot about Gary Rosen. So certain things about this podcast are exactly the same, Brendan.
1: You know what's kind of crazy when you think about it, too? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Kevin, is um... – Like based just on what Mike just said, when we started doing this, it was like nobody was prepared for the idea that uh, in the course of 10 years, like the telegram would go from taking up an entire building with multiple floors of staff to like one small corner of of an office building, Um, you know, that uh, a lot of uh, upstart sort of media would actually start filling in gaps in a meaningful way from traditional media. And also, to Mike's point, talking about your arrest, that anyone with a Snapchat account would essentially be considered a journalist by, you know, every structure of the imagination. That's really only been seven years. And it's kind of crazy to think that, uh, you know... Well, it's been been, uh,
0: 11 years.
1: 11 years. So my math is terrible. (laughs) Similar, though. Um, Yeah, no, like the same, but a little bit more. Um, But not a long time frame in in the grand scheme of things. Uh, And it seems as though the one thing that has changed, really, is that people don't seem to care anymore. Um, like people just seem to be used to the idea that like news just comes shared via Facebook and is completely untrustworthy, and you know, I, I think the only thing that has changed is normal people spend a lot more time fact-checking in themselves on Snopes uh, than they used to, but the landscape ha- has has changed drastically, and it seems like the one thing that I didn't expect is that people kind of adapted in, in not necessarily a good way. Kevin, your response?
2: <laughs> Yeah, well, I think one thing I'm remembering from back then was uh, I think we all put a lot more weight on blogs back then. That was they were looking like they were going to be the sure. the alternative. Uh, so a lot of my photography back then was connected directly to Indy Media, which mm-hmm. I think all of us did a little bit different ways at different times. Yeah, um, to try and get the word out there from a different perspective.
0: You know, I was listening to episode number 100 of the show also, which was an episode that we did when we were riding on on the bus in episode 2010. And, um, you know, some of the things people said in that episode, you know, were uh, probably uh, accurate and some of them in retrospect were wrong. One of the wrongest things, I think, was Brendan fairly confidently chiding the city for spending um, maybe too much effort invested into their Facebook and Twitter accounts mm. because of the idea that, you know what, these are not going to last that long as platforms, guys. You can't really no. fall in love with them too much. And again, like at the time, that certainly seemed like um, a reasonable position. And in
1: retrospect, it's like completely wrong. But it's not, it, is it though? Because I mean, like just as of last week, I mean, the data that Facebook is putting out that their user base is actually uh, is very similar to uh, Fox News and CNN where like, Nobody under, in any sort of meaningful numbers, nobody under the age of 60 uses Facebook. Facebook is like the telephone of our, you know, the the landline telephone of our generation. Twitter, uh, I think, is a signal-to-noise ratio that is uh, very few people pay attention to other than they're, unless they're engaged in that universe and just like yelling at people. And then, uh, you know, Instagram and Snapchat have done a really fantastic job of picking up the slack on the younger generation. If I do remember that conversation we had, though, uh, it was based on the idea that, uh, non-institutional media tends to cycle through very quickly so like mm-hmm. you know uh, Friendster had a useful lifespan. MySpace had a useful life, lifespan. Facebook, the only difference between that and uh, MySpace is internet access globally that has bumped numbers through the roof so there's still a lot of long-tail revenue to be made but I think anyone should be able to look at it and say it's a dead platform in the same way cable is a dead platform.
0: What? What's not a dead platform? All platforms are dead platforms?
1: No, I'm just saying like Facebook would be considered a dead platform similar to like cable television is a dead platform. Even though people use it, the numbers are, are decreasing so drastically. So it's it's not into, yeah, I would I would argue that there's not a lot of value in investing a lot of resources in any one platform.
2: The other the other side of that question is is it a good place for the city to be investing time and energy?
1: Sure. So I,
2: I divorce that from you know <clears> the, the, the value in life of any of the social media platform I Is this the way the city should be using it? Hmm. I I haven't seen social media be social for for the city of Worcester yet, I don't think, anywhere.
1: No. Hmm. They're
2: they're good about posting stuff. They'll occasionally make a Facebook event or something like that. But in terms of interaction, social,
0: engaging, I don't know if I've seen that yet in any media. I've seen it. That's my only response to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to... uh, I, went to, um, I want to talk about what we talked about in 2007. And again, this was just like a Skype call between me and Brendan. We talked about the preliminary city council agenda that year, um, which was uh, the pre- preliminary city council election that year, which we started off with 18 council candidates, went down to 12. That was the first year, I think, that Grace Ross ran for Worcester City Council, and she did very well in that prelim. Based on the prelim, she would have won election to the city council. It was not to be. Um, We talked to Shannon Sr. via the phone in that episode about the fight against Walmart opening in Worcester, a Mm. fight which, again, was lost. Uh, There was about a 14 percent election turnout. This was an election in which Kate Toomey and Gary Rosen did really, really well in the preliminary election, like to the point that people were somewhat surprised by this. Um, There were a lot of angry online commenters about the city council's latest pay raise, although it does not seem to have actually impacted anybody's voice or anybody's votes um we predicted that you predicted that Joe Petty might have a hard time in the general election because of his uh his uh showing in that preliminary election mm. I was not doing a lot of predictions on this episode, by the
1: way. So you this never like doing predictions. You always oh, stick me I'm with the raw it. deal job of doing making predictions and then beating me up over them. I want to start uh, make, getting your predictions on things.
0: We also talked about how there was a lot of hostility towards Joe Petty. Do you remember what this even was? No, I have no idea what this was. And uh, you were predicting that Gary. You were predicting non-ironically that Gary Rosenwood mayor, and yeah. you, were, you were non-ironically sad that Bill Coleman had not done better. Yeah. I also, non-ironically, would have predicted both those things. Bill Coleman, still never on the Worcester City Council. Gary Rosen, still never the mayor.
1: Do you think, in hindsight, if we had a time machine and could go back and inform the residents of the city of Worcester that Gary Rosen freely admits in 2018 to never having seen a Star Wars movie, do you think we could uh, throw that election?
0: I don't think people care about it, Brendan. I think similar to the... uh, pay, city council pay raise. Yeah. You'll get a small minority of people, vocal minority of people, who will say, "I'll never vote for anybody who never saw one of those." You know, yeah. pe- people, people who have, you know, no warp but the Star War Those kind of people. But those kind of people, you know, that's a tiny percent. That's a half a percent of the people in the general election.
1: Do you remember um, a lot of the uh, the collateral that was being used that election cycle? I think that was the election cycle as well, where Joe Petty had, um, you know, the Quiet Man. The Quiet Man. You know, Is him in the the <laughs> flugelhorn or some a French horn or was something? That, was or, that the panda mailing? I can't remember. There was a couple that went out that were like, they were kind of corny, but that quiet man one always stuck in my head because if, if there's any politician in Worcester that I think has done a uh, 180 in terms of evolution uh, in the city, it's probably Joe. And in a really neat way. Uh, He's he gone from being one of the most silent, literally silent, uh, non-vocal members of the city council to being one of, you know, a, a pretty loud voice in the city when it comes to things that he actually believes in. That's Gary, cool
0: are we ready to go to a break? We can if we want to. I think that we want to. We'll be back with Worcester's Libertarian Voice, the 508 show, after these important messages. the man. <laughs> We okay, go in a basement, down an alley in downtown Worcester. This is episode five, 300 of 508, or the episode 508 of the 300 show. Starring—I'm not even going to introduce everybody else. Starring the sexiest of men, Kevin Kasan. Hi, Kevin. Hey, thanks. How old is that? That's six, from six years ago. Got our money's worth out of that, or something like that. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Thanks, Nat Needle. Thanks, Nat Needle. Thanks, all the drunk and non-drunk people standing on Pleasant Street singing that song.
1: That's fantastic.
0: Um, you know, I want to tell you about episode 100 of the 508 show, Kevin. Are you ready? I'm ready. So this was an episode where we rode the bus around Worcester um, in episode 100, and we were looking at what was promising in 2010 for Worcester. Brendan, you were predicting Google Fiber. Never happened. Never happened. You know, Google has been that way. They have a lot of they have a lot of things, and they don't all um, actually come to pass. Well, Google Google Fiber happened, It just didn't happen here. Oh, really? Where did it end up happening?
1: A significant number of cities. That City. I mean, there's a number of. I mean, yeah, pretty. It's a couple dozen now, if I'm not mistaken. They've, they've slowed down the. Uh, are you watching TV now?
0: No, I'm just trying to find my next file. Keep talking. Oh.
1: Yeah, there's a couple a uh, couple dozen cities that they've rolled out to, and they still are rolling out. They're just slowing things down because now a, a big push seems to be happening for the next generation of wireless as well
0: um also that episode uh jeff barnard was saying that his promising thing or his helpful thing for 2010 was surviving the year 2010 Mm -hmm. and sadly jeff barnard actually did not survive the year 2010 he died of cancer before the end of the year um drew wilson was on talking about the vegetarian renaissance being um something and how the vegetarian renaissance had turned from something which we sort of talked about as a joke into something which was actually not a joke—the vegetarian renaissance in Worcester—I mm. kind of feel like we need to we need to um, take credit for this phrase of the Worcester Renaissance <laughs> to describe you know a few a few basically a few uh, blocks of downtown being renovated, mm. being called a renaissance. I mean, I guess it's renovated renaissance. But uh, I want to take credit for us for, for for us talking about the Worcester vegetarian renaissance long before anybody was talking about the Worcester Renaissance. You brought that to everyone's renaissance, attention. Renaissance, renaissance. Um, the Five Oh Eight Show. A lot of people suck up. Said the Five Oh Eight Show is their most promising thing for 2010.
1: That oh, was nice of them. Now, what, where where was uh, Veg Fest at that point? In, uh I mean, the
0: first Veg Fest was at Worcester State College. Uh, it was there for a couple of years, and then it went to. But had it had already happened Worcester at that point Tech? when we'd done that show. I think or? it had okay. already happened at yeah. that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Went to Worcester Tech, it went to the Worcester Airport one year, and then it's been at the DCU ever since. Okay. Um, And that has been, yeah, that has been something which has just grown by leaps and bounds. I mean, this year, you know, whatever, taking up 50% more space in the DCU than last year, filling that space quite handily, doing really, really well. um, At this point, again, like, it could probably be twice as big as it is. There's just not a venue that large in the city of Worcester. For the New England VegFest. the skating rink behind city hall boy there was a lot of catty conversation about the skating rink behind city hall mm. and about moving the bus state but the bus hub mm. you know i feel like the thing about the skating rink behind city hall is something where we were wrong mm-hmm. we were wrong to be critical about that yeah.
1: no i can see that. yeah i think it was one of those things that seemed really goofy at the time and i also remember too right after it opened up somebody pointed out to me that um our skating rink was actually bigger than the one at rockefeller center just from a square footage perspective and that is something that struck me it's like oh well like i guess it's really not that crazy of a thing but at the time too i mean i don't think i certainly did not foresee uh, a lot of the growth that is happening right wrong or indifferent downtown um, and i think the uh the local population has just been a lot more eager uh, or willing uh, to go downtown, and now there's a built-in pop or starting to uh, grow at a built-in population closer to the common. It, it is one of those amenities that just makes sense. I still think the timing around it is completely ridiculous. It seems like it goes up. Uh, you know, it usually is installed like what will be the warmest day of fall, um, and then, you know, whatever, but...
0: Um, Brandon, I'm going to pass this remote control to you. Yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'll keep... See, I'll see if you can get the USB drive back working with this. Um... Right. Uh, back in 2010, consistent street signage was a hope. I feel like that's something we've done a lot better on since 2010 is consistent street signage, complete streets policy. Kevin Kassan, you're shaking your head yes. I, I think
2: I agree, yeah.
0: I hope you always shake your head yes whenever I say anything, <laughs> Kevin, because it really makes me feel supported. Um, the Empower biodiesel Diesel co-op was something that people were excited about, and Green Jobs is something that people were excited about. Both of these things, I feel like, came, came to nothing, as it turns out. In um, this show, we have profiled many a thing and talked to many a person about many a project. And I would say two thirds of them have not happened. I would say, or ended up not really working out. I would say a sixth of them have gone on to do well. And I would say another sixth of them, like Veg Worcester, have just gone to blow up mm-hmm. beyond anybody's dreams. But we do a bad job in um, coming back to the things that we talked about that didn't, you know, we never look at, like, okay, what stuff that we talked about last year that actually failed. We don't talk about that, the year in failure. Even though we have a negative attitude, we don't follow up on our negative attitude. Um, Stone The Stone Soup rebuild we talked about. Hell yeah, the Stone Soup rebuild. That went great. That's, the, that's one of those things. That's in the sixth. That's in the one sixth of things that do <laughs> super great. Yeah, Stone Soup I feel like has been a, a really cool thing. Bruce Russell leaving for the summer. In Bruce Russell's opinion, that was a promising thing. I don't think that really happened in 2010. Um, the fact that people are not giving up was a positive thing. The 2011 council campaign for the next year was what you brought up, Kevin. Uh, that was an impactful Remind me council. what I said. Uh, you just basically were like, I'm excited for next year's city council campaign. I feel like maybe what you were – that was, that would have been Sarai, Sarai Rivera's first first yeah. run for the council, right?
2: Yeah, I don't remember if I was actually working yet or not.
0: That was I – mean, but, I mean, that was actually – that actually was a consequential city council campaign 2011. That was Barbara Haller going, getting out and Sarai Rivera coming in and maybe a couple of other changes. Don't remember off the top of my head. I can't figure out how to get this USB thing to work, Brendan. Yeah, that's okay. Um, the Worcester World Cup you were excited about. How has the Worcester World Cup done since 2010? It's done
2: very good. It's done very good. This year's we're going to have a little bit of a challenge. We're looking at, like we're going to have to move because they're doing some renovations over at Foley. I
0: don't know if you're really talking into the microphone. The they're going to do should. some renovations over at Foley this
2: year, so looks like we're going to be moving this summer, so trying to figure that out.
0: Dominican cultural things. Dominican cultural stuff still going go going well. Casco Tral Dominicana de Worcester. Jesse Pack called in talking about the Transgender Emergency Fund, which I don't know that it's, like, blown up since then, but I would have to say that, like, trans issues have blown up since 2010 mm. in a way that I would not have anticipated.
1: Well, we got a ballot question this year too, statewide that it, yeah. I think it was the Globe was reporting this morning that just based on polling numbers looks like it will probably be one of the most con- more contentious uh, and active uh, ballot questions in recent history. Poll- polling in terms of it looks like a 50-50 split? I just – I wouldn't call it 50-50, but contentious enough where poll watchers are actually – And and both supporters and detractors are concerned that it could kind of go either way and will probably result in a more active uh, summer than expected politically.
0: Jesse was also encouraged by the Obama administration's progress on HIV, which I have to admit, I have no idea how the Obama administration ended up doing on HIV. I... Yeah. We'll never know. I guess maybe okay because we haven't heard about it. I don't Apparently
1: know. Apparently better than Worcester is doing on syphilis. I don't yeah.
0: Think things that struck me back then is that uh is paying coins to use the bus in Worcester, which these days the bus is all about the Charlie card in mm. Worcester. Two minutes, oh man. Um the uh you know, the bus hub then was still at City Hall and not in the new hub. And right. I I know that Kevin in particular was always a big critic of the idea of the new bus hub. And Kevin I feel like the new bus hub is actually pretty good.
2: I think it, I think it's worked in, in a lot of sense. I think it's taken away still people from shopping downtown, though. Like
0: yeah, at, there needs to be more of a connection between the, the transit's place and places where people can actually do stuff. I guess in this case they brought the mountain to Mohammed and they've like actually built things across the street from the bus hub. So even though that street is still a bit daunting to cross as a pedestrian, you can do it, and maybe somebody would take your money for something over there.
2: Yeah, I think we'll have to watch that as the bank opens up over there and everything else.
0: Yeah, all right. Well, are we ready to go to a break? Gabrielle is so excited to go to this break. Um, This is 508, Worcester's week-by-week Good Faith Survey of Evidence. We'll be back in a moment with more. And this is the well, drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye and dark within. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye and dark within. And this is Kevin Kassan who is also the white of the eye and dark within. And this is the 508 show. Hi everybody. How's it going?
1: Not bad. I think you wanted a couple extra reads on.
0: You know, you're supposed to do it. Uh, one day I'll show you that video and you'll know. You'll know how it's really supposed to be. You will know how it's really supposed to be done. Everybody you're listening to Unity Radio broadcasting with 100,000 milliwatts of power on 102.9 FM and streaming at wistermag.com. This show is also cable casted on WCCA TV. 194, podcasted at pieandcoffee.org, and live streamed to our Facebook page. You can call in live at 508-471-5265. That's 508-471-265. And thanks to the mighty Gabrielle Powers for engineering today's show. Episode 200, 200 was an episode that we did at uh, Woo Daddy,
1: Which is not what you have up right now.
0: Which is now no, it's that's not what we have up right now, but um, yeah. Do you remember? Do you, did you ever go to that place with Daddy, Brendan?
1: Yeah, all the time. It was actually, I think, it was, I can't remember Saturday or Sunday, but we went pretty much every week. My Sunday son loved morning. the place, yeah.
0: Sunday morning. It was an interesting vibe. I mean, this is, you you remember this. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, this was back in 2012, so this is a mere six years ago, but it feels like forever. I think we did it near the end of Woo Daddy's run. They did mm-hmm. this for a couple of years. Um, Zali Zalkind and Sarah Harold, I think, were the masterminds of this, having a vegan-friendly uh, waffle uh, brunch Mm-hmm. At Moynihan's on Main Street every yeah. Sunday morning. And it was very much of a hangout for Worcester's different sort of Worcester underground communities, bohemian communities. And it was a great meetup spot. I know that um, whenever there would be like a big, you know, like the anniversary, like the go go anniversary party, or, you know, like nowadays if you were to have some sort of stone soup anniversary party and people might come in from out of town and, you know, uh, stick around the evening to uh stick around for the night and the next morning everybody would always go to like woo daddy it was always the place that you knew that you could go to meet the people who you didn't get to talk at the party to on the party on friday night or saturday night and uh yeah that was another one of those things which just sort of came out of two people's dream came in fulfilled a really vital purpose in a certain community of worcester and then when those people moved away went away and there's nothing there's nothing even slightly
1: like that
2: yeah i'd have to agree it just, nothing filled that void um
0: it's a shame because we could use that. Yeah.
1: What uh? What actually happened to that place?
0: I mean, that, that's what happened. I mean, I you know, I think that there was always a certain amount of um, tension between Moynihan's and the brunch itself because the people going to the brunch were not heavy enough drinkers that Moynihan's was getting a super great cut of uh, oh, the him. money for something like that. This is all similar to Billy Blue's uh, uh, weekly blues show that he would do at Gilreans for a while for mm-hmm. a summer, I think, and it would always be packed with a bunch of non-drinkers. <laughs> yeah, it's no good. And so, like, one person at your table would order one beer, and Gil Rains was like, why are we doing this? This is crazy. Yeah. And I, a similar thing, I think, at Moynihan's. I mean, the real reason it went away, though, was, like, Zali and his wife and daughter moved to Boston. I think Sarah moved down to New York City somewhere. Oh, okay, yeah. And... Um, you know, people talked about doing it without them, but they were the visionaries. They yeah. were the ones who were making it happen. And they were you know, they also did a monthly Wednesday night free buffet, community buffet out of uh Moynihans. They did a bunch of stuff, but that Sunday morning definitely for pay waffle thing was the main thing.
1: That um that always struck me at that point in time as probably one of the better examples of like a pop up that looked like it from the outside, that it could have scaled very easily into a uh successful endeavor on its own
0: i think so yeah i mean again there was i know that financially it was always a little bit fragile but yeah that's and again another thing which is really important and if anybody ever uh i don't know i mean i I know that chickpea for example used to have a nice sunday morning sunday morning brunch vegan brunch but Mm -hmm. it was just not the same vibe Nope. it didn't have the same level of crowd something about everything just came together you would not think that morning maybe you would think that morning hands was the right hangout for that but it definitely was um, that episode in 2012, which was six years ago, we asked everybody about how do you connect with people in Worcester. Uh, you suggested Seven Hills High. Lie. I don't even know what that is, Brendan. Neither do I. Did, did you suggested that? though? All right. right. I was okay. Some people suggested our championship yo-yo team, volunteering for the library or the land trust or the Catholic Worker. Did we have a highlight team
1: in Worcester? I don't know. This is. Was you, I suggesting that we start one maybe? Because that sounds kind of cool. Maybe just,
0: you were suggesting. It sounded a little bit. Speculative, but you weren't doing a good job of explaining what it was. I was also like, what are you talking about? And you were like, oh, don't you realize? You may have been making a joke on something, too. You're familiar
1: with highlight, though, right? I do know what High
0: oh, okay. is. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, it was suggested that people should walk down the street, which could be a good way to connect with people, I guess, to walk around Maine South, to go to Woo Daddy, to go to university lectures, to go to Central Mass Striders weekly running events, to become active in politics or on issue politics, and to uh, just Google stuff in the city of Worcester. Yeah, I feel like none of those are really like the silver bullet or the easy answer somebody would be asking for though. If they say, "I just moved to Worcester and I can't find my people, what do I do?"
1: Yeah, I don't. don't That, That that always struck me as a weird question. It's still striking me as a weird question now, so maybe that's why I made a joke of it and recommended yeah. starting to highlight the I do We
0: talked about Sunshine Week progress. That was that was maybe the last year that we really put our nose to the grindstone on Sunshine Week. We had five items go in front of the council, and we were just sort of shepherding those through the uh, committee hearing process. And of those five items, which included the the uh, right to speak at council meetings, uh, or at least that was what Ron Madnick was very interested in that year. Do we still have a right to speak at council meetings? Yeah, for a few minutes at the beginning. So we have some, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, it gets negotiated, it seems like, every five years.
2: The other the other big one was our effort to try and deal with this stupid video on the city's webpage. Oh,
0: the video and on, on the city's webpage. This is something where I still have the actual speech that I read. This is something which I, we brought in front of the city council twice and that they voted in favor of both times and nobody acted on it and still has not been acted on. So I could find this paper from six years ago and bring it up again and be like, hey, guys – uh, I know you voted in favor of this, but nobody's really been paying attention to the fact that the city has not done what you told the city to do. It's a different city manager now, I guess. Maybe maybe Augustus, you know, maybe we need to give him a shot at, uh, you know, using 21st century video technology.
1: Are we getting ready for another um, round of uh, cable commission meetings leading up to a new contract with Charter 2, though? Probably Maybe. now's a time Maybe. to start thinking about I don't that. Know, yeah, I, don't, I
0: don't even know to what extent that's it. I feel like it's just like... well
1: uh, that's where their budget comes from, though. So if you want to talk about any big changes in terms of the government uh, cable channel, then yeah.
0: I don't think it's a big change. Um, we talked about co-working spaces in Worcester, like Running Start on Lincoln Street, which then moved elsewhere, which then I've totally lost track of. We talked about the shop down in Webster Square. And we talked about Stone Soup. I still don't feel like... I feel like co-working is one of those things like green jobs, although it's had a better future than green jobs. But co-working is still not really like blown up in a huge way. You know what I mean? Like for the people who use it and love it, it's like a part of their life. And for everybody else, people kind of don't even know what it is.
1: Because I, I think partly because people realize that, oh, if I can work from anywhere, then it doesn't mean I have to hang around with a bunch of strangers that I might not actually like. I can go hang out in Tahiti and sit on a beach and work from there. It seems like it found a lot more interest in uh you see a lot more interest especially online in terms of people who are like more more uh, digital vagabonds than than anything.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: Why would you want to stay put if you're, you could actually go someplace where there's a lower cost of living and uh, higher return on your your investment in time.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, that was episode 200. That's all I have to say about that.
1: I mean, I remember reading for for a while. We we're pretty amped up on, on talking about co-working and, and, and the growth in Blister, and some areas that are like tangible, right? Like uh, shared spaces around technology, like Technocopia or whatnot. I mean, that makes perfect sense I have to where s- resources yeah. are there. But
0: there are real. I mean, that's the thing is like the co-working spaces that have done well, like technicopia and Stone Soup, are amazing. Right, but and there
1: there are things that like you can't bring a CNC machine, you know, to the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, there's almost, I can't think of much of anything in terms of technology now that would just, if you're if you were normally an office drone, right, and you're, you're able to get out of that world and, and replace it with a co-working space, there's almost nothing that you can't do now from your phone, never mind needing like a shared printer or fax machine or phone lines or whatnot. It's right. a, it seems like all the things that made co-working in a, as a replacement for a traditional office space seem sexy at the time are now kind of irrelevant.
0: Well, you know, I think that both Stone Soup and uh, especially uh, Technicopia, you know, there's like a lot of add on stuff. Like if you're using Technicopia as your space, you're also c- kind of in the same space as this youth education thing, the think tank, mm-hmm. which means if at some point you decide, you know what, I really want to teach this thing, or if whatever your specialty is, think tank's interested in doing a class, you're right there. Sure. And again, if you're, you know, you've been doing a lot of research on this and that, and you need to make a sign for your project, well, you can make a sign right there. You can, yeah. you know, you can build whatever you need to build right there. There. So all of these things being in the same place, and also the you know if you need to know about some local, if you need to three D print anything and you don't know how to, the three D person is right. The right. Print person is right there. You know you have coffee with them every day. Um, I don't know what you know. Somebody who was doing just random kinds of work online would want to have in their co-working space. I mean, maybe you would want to have the co-working space somehow the back half of a, or, you know, like the back room of a coffee shop or something. So you sort of felt like, oh, well, like my graphic design business, like these people come in the coffee shop needing graphic design and some of them drift into the back room and say, hey, I get a job for you guys. Like, that's the same kind of thing you get out of a place like Technicopia or Stone Soup, mm. you know, where, where there's a certain amount of, like, the networking is just being done for you right. by the fact that you're in that space. Um, but, yeah, we got two minutes left. Do you want to talk about the Task Force for Sustaining Housing First Solutions draft recommendations? Am I supposed to remember this? This is a thing. Well, this is a thing. So, you know, the city manager has a task force on um, housing, on homelessness this mm-hmm. summer, and, uh, or this spring and this summer. and they've been having some meetings and they've been having some public meetings and they've come out with a first draft of uh, recommendations. It says draft on it in faint gray letters to let you know this is not any kind of a final thing. Their overarching recommendation their, their goal is to achieve and sustain a functional zero of adult chronic homelessness in the city of Worcester by creating a community response that incorporates the five components of housing first crisis response, housing supply, support services, housing crisis, and a data-driven system. And I feel like the two interesting things in that sentence for people who don't follow this closely are, what does adult chronic homelessness mean? Which it's it's, uh, in distinction, it's in uh, contrast to like, you know, if I lose my housing or I lose my whatever, my job, and I got to crash on somebody's couch for a couple of months or live mm. in my car for a couple of months, that's, you know, a one time deal. If that happens to me over and over and over, or that happens to me for years at a time, then I'm chronically homeless. And a functional zero means, um, let's say Worcester is routinely placing 20 homeless people in housing every month. Uh, a functional zero means that we have fewer than 20 homeless people in the city at any given point in time. Mm. So that everybody's kind of on a one-month, there's like a, maybe a, at most a one-month waiting list for the system to get you get your housing situation straightened out. Do we, do we want to go to a message? This is 508, Worcester's voice of advocacy for the homeless and the homeless libertarian alike. We'll be back in a minute with more. museum of oddities and on the inside you're going to see nature's greatest mistakes grace mcdaniel look through the doorway they're looking at grace mcdaniel the mule-faced girl you're going to look down into the beady eyes of a 23-foot python you're going to see the giant spider the octopus eight-legged monster that can grow more than 30 feet in length you're going to see the jaws of a live man-eating shark rows and rows of vicious teeth the barracuda ape the devil fish from Atlantis. You're going to see two Burmese pythons alive, over 50 different attractions on the inside, and you're just in time. Stop. Look through the doorway. Look through the doorway. They're in there right now. A two headed calf, a two faced calf, a raccoon with two heads. That's right. Two heads on the one body, and a live tarantula spider. Today, on Five Way to Show About Worcester, episode 300 with Kevin Kassan. Hi, Kevin. Hey, hey, hey. I
2: got
0: I got a number I want to throw out there. This is actually a great number to throw out there. Fifteen million dollars. So um, this week, um, the people trying to preserve uh, Notre Dame Church have probably continued to face a. I guess have continued to face uh, a city government which is actively disinterested in helping with that effort at this point. Mm-hmm. It's been doing something for years and years now, and it's just throwing up its hands. Uh, they've filed an injunction against the transfer or the demolition or something of this, which is was brought before a judge yesterday and presumably next couple of days we'll get a ruling on that. Um, you know, Ted Connor was on here talking about probably it would take something like six million dollars to really get that property back in shape. Mm-hmm. And so we've been kicking around or I've been kicking around on this show a number of twelve million dollars um, you know, that the city would realistically have to put into this property. Uh, in order to really entice somebody to want to do something with it. Uh, Barbara Haller this week asked the city council to approve up to $15 million. So that ballpark actually <laughs> seems to be reasonable. So in the world of trade-offs, though, this is interesting to me, that like I think we would all love to see this church preserved. Sure. The question is, in a world of trade-offs, of the other things you could do with $15 million. For example, you could um, – ensure the security of the WRTA for 15 years. For 15 you could million. replace
1: the facade of the Worcester Public Library twice.
0: Twice or fifteen million dollars, yeah. you could. Uh, I mean, you could do a lot of stuff with housing mm-hmm. for fifteen million dollars. You could do a lot of stuff with homelessness for fifteen million.
1: Yeah, you could build a really rad housing complex for hom- chronically homeless people with like so be like swimming pools and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. That's a, you do. A great, you just nice build out there. You
0: know, I mean, and as Worcester's Libertarian Voice, I would be remiss if not pointing out that you could just let people have fifteen million dollars and not have to pay that to the city. You know, whether or not you want a bunch of Worcesterites walking around with fifteen million dollars more in their pocket. Probably that's a good thing.
1: We talked briefly when Ted was on the show with Ted about this, and he kind of, I think, scoffed at the idea. I, but I don't think intentionally. I, I just don't know if there—I think I maybe caught him off guard with it. That's all I can assume. Do you know if there's been any conversation amongst the group, like, to try and buy the place privately? Like, I, I feel like that's the one thing that maybe the city dropped the ball on a little bit, was instead of, like, you know, rounding, huddling up and saying, do we have— $8 million, 10 12 whatever, $15 million. Instead, putting somebody from the economic team in City Hall with that group and said, like, here's what, you know, 10, 20 of you need to do to incorporate and buy this building. And here are banks that are lending in the area, which there are tons of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like it. that's, like, one component because it's – so – You're talking about numbers that are being proposed to the city council. What's really interesting is if you look on social media, uh, members of the group talking uh, about what it will take to save the building the numbers are much much smaller it it almost sounds like a you know a, a small house is trying to be saved in terms of the numbers that are being kicked around
0: i have a dollar in my pocket right now that i would put into it for uh, if it was a done deal i would totally point yeah, it yeah
1: no it just i mean th- but there are some people involved you know heavily involved with the group to save the church that i mean do have development experience that do have uh you know yeah uh, yeah a lot of connections in the city that could probably make something uh ha- buy the building i think that would actually be really rad if, if you ended up having a group of concern it might change the the way things are done in the city substantially too if there was a successful effort to save something uh meaningful uh through preservation efforts that actually had the city turn around and say we're going to coach you in doing this the way we would any other developer coming into the town buy it and do what you will with it
0: kevin do you have a response to that to me, it just feels
2: like Worcester gave up on Notre Dame a long time ago, and that's the sad part. You know, it did.
1: I think a lot of us will just watched it decay. Yeah, you know? the um, '50s. Uh, you know, according to the today's Telegram and Gazette, I mean, they reran a headline of their own from the '50s, where uh, the headline was a proposal to tear down the church as a part of the uh, construction of the Galleria Mall. That that was the initial plan was to uh, yeah, demo the church and. You know.
0: Is um? Do you know much about the odd the Worcester Memorial Auditorium? You know more than me. Let me say this this way.
1: I remember going there almost every. I think it's at least once a month at the little theater uh, with my grandfather. Yeah. When
0: I mean, so this was the first week when, when talking to people about this issue, somebody brought up the odd mm-hmm. as being like, well, we can preserve these beautiful buildings, but. If we can't actually find anybody to do anything with them, then we have this weird giant thing like the Odd that's just yeah. sitting there looking, I guess, kind of pretty, but also like off by its lonesome and not definitely not being
1: used. I mean, I think the even better example is the Worcester Market on the corner of, uh, I guess that side is Madison in Main Street, uh, but you know, most people think of it the corner of Chain- uh, Chandler in Main Street. The state offices haven't been in there for almost half a decade now. It's an empty building that is essentially, with the exception of some drywall that's been thrown up over the years and um, coverings of the the ornate columns inside, it is the exact same public marketplace that uh, existed 100 years ago. I mean, it, it in a country where, you know, things like public markets, and we're even having this discussion here in Worcester with uh, Alan Fletcher's project down in Kelly Square, there's one sitting that's already been built. It's just waiting for somebody to come right. in uh, and, and and repurpose it. We can't seem to pull that off, right? I mean, the, the auditorium is, is maybe fantastic as a performing arts space if you do, put a lot of renovation into it. The church. It then gets into an area where it's like, well, we don't even have an idea. It's like we just know we don't want it to fall down.
0: Right, right. You know, I wanted to tell, I wanted to tell a story that I didn't tell last week, but I'm going to tell this week. This is about the church that I used to go to in Manhattan. I, now, this is a long time ago, so I may be wrong about this. I think, I believe it was Saint Michael's on the Lower East Side that was the saint of the church, and I knew a very slight amount about the finances finances of Saint Michael's, which I knew were not in great shape. Um, after I moved out of that parish and stopped going to that church, the priest of that parish was fired because the parish had an associated Catholic school. And as it turns out, because of declining revenues in the parish, he had for s- some years been playing around with the books of the school and the church in order to keep the church going. Mm. Um, which is not what you're supposed to do. And so he was kicked out of there. And then it was like, well, now we have this church that has no money and has like, honestly like a declining you know number of people going in there. And the Archdiocese of New York was like, well, we're just going to tear this church down. And then a mysterious benefactor with millions of dollars said to the Archdiocese, don't close it. Here's millions of dollars. And they didn't close it. Yeah. And they took the millions of dollars and kept it open. There are people who have $15 million yeah. in the city of Worcester oh, sitting totally. in their pocket. You know, I think, I mean... And that's, I mean, this is the thing is like you spend 10 years trying to convince somebody, hey, give us 15 million bucks for Notre Dame, give us 15 million bucks for Mount Carmel. At what point do you say, you know what, this is actually not working. That person maybe doesn't exist. Or the people with 15 million bucks are really want to preserve I don't know what.
1: Yeah, we talked about this, I think, even before Ted came on, too. I mean, I, I'm fully in the camp that, uh, while I think it's probably the right thing to do uh, real-time taking the building down, I also fully accept the idea that 20 years from now my son's going to look at me and say, what were you thinking? Like, your right. generation actually destroyed that building? And I'm I'm just preparing myself in advance to be mocked ferociously for that will be one of our terrible decisions as a generation. But in real time, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's, you know, I was thinking on the ride down here, because I wanted to ask you this question, Kevin. I mean, because... I mean, I think one of the side conversations with all that is is happening downtown and in Worcester in general, we've kind of got and Mike have been threading this in and out of a lot of conversation we've been having, is the idea, the concept of gentrification, whether or not we're already going down that road, if we're approaching it. I was thinking on the way down here, like that's another kind of conundrum with that building as well too. Like even if someone did show up with 15 million dollars, uh, what are the viable uses for that space in the middle of downtown? That wouldn't almost push the needle further on the gentrification front. You know, I've I think when we, we when Ted was here, we were talking about uh, rock climbing gyms. We were right. talking about uh, some performing art spaces, art galleries, and whatnot. It was I I couldn't think of any suggestions that have been thrown out that didn't squarely fit uh, into the the gentrification corner of uh, of development.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important for us to remember too that there was a proposal for that that was viable, but it was tied to the slots parlor. <laughs> yeah. and so when the, you know Hanover didn't want to sell at that point, and the slots parlor fell apart. And, yeah. Um, but the, the, there was drawings for a swanky, swanky hotel there.
0: Yeah. You know, I want to bring up something that's that's uh, another another report that came out this week, which is maybe connected to. Um, If we're thinking about happy and sad trends of the last 11 years we've been doing this podcast, this is an article from Bloomberg by Danielle Moran called Taxpayers Lose in the Bond Market When Local Newspapers Close. A study by economists from the University of Notre Dame and the University of Illinois found that investors demand higher yields to buy the bonds of governments in metropolitan areas where newspapers have shut down. They argue that's likely because reducing the number of reporters, rooting out mismanagement and corruption allows governments to run less efficiently, which is reflected in bond market prices. So this is looking for... for, um, News: uh, 204 counties where the number of newspapers dropped to two or less between 96 and 2015. They concluded that the shutdowns caused bond yields to rise between 0.05 and 0.11 of a percentage point. While that appears small, it can add up to a lot in a market where state and local governments borrow hundreds of billions of dollars a year. For a $65 million debt issue, that amounts to about $71,500 annually, enough to cover a teacher's salary, or about $2 million over the life of a 30-year bond. The local newspaper industry has been decimated by the rise of the Internet. The industry lost more than half of its jobs from 2001 through September 2016, cutting unemployment from about 174,000 from 412,000, according to the U.S. Labor Department. That's actually not a huge change, I guess, in bond yield, 0.1%, but it is interesting to note that you can actually see that in the numbers.
1: Yeah, yeah you know what else it was? I, you know, I usually hate these reports um, because they're not really reports. They're more concepts that get thrown around as fodder for people to, to hate on cities. But uh, it was nice to see that Worcester was not included in the uh, 50 worst places to live in the United States, but Hartford, uh, Springfield, and New Haven were, in fact, included on that list. Huh. Yeah,
0: I can buy that. Yeah, top I can 50 buy that. worst
1: places in the United States to live.
0: And they're all, you know, even those places are pretty good places to live.
1: I think they all have newspapers. We're too. living
0: in a great country, Brendan. Yeah. It's been made great again. We should feel, gl- we should feel lucky to live in it. we need is a hat. Are we ready to, we ready to stop doing this show? Well, everybody, thanks, thanks for watching the show. Thanks for your support over these 300 episodes. I cannot, I cannot describe to you how many dozens of people have been on the show and how many dozens of people, literally hundreds of people, have been on the show and hundreds of people have helped behind the scenes on the show. And it's been a lot of fun and. Uh, I look forward to doing it for the indefinite future. I'm Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Millican and and Kevin Kassin saying, this is Worcester's Tricentennial Voice, and we'll talk to you again next week.
1: (laughs) Have a good one.